Welcome to the Unmade Podcast. With our retail media conference remade just around the corner coming up on October the 11th in Sydney, today's edition is focused on retail media. Tickets to the conference are still available. Whether you're beginning your retail media journey or looking at enhancing your capabilities, the program will offer relevant content, deep expertise and the real stories behind the case studies. Hear from David Jones, Booktopia, Uber, The Warehouse Group. We'll be covering the omnichannel experience, data, measurement, customer perspectives. And once again, we have the retail media heavyweights joining us for the leadership Q&A. So your opportunity to pose the tough questions to the Cartology, Coles 360 and Brand Crush and also be sharing their predictions for the sector. Visit remade.net.au to get your ticket today. I'm delighted to be joined by our keynote speaker for the upcoming Remade Conference, international man of retail media, Colin Lewis. Colin is currently in Luxembourg, where he's consulting, and he brings extensive expertise from his global uh, engagements with brands like Ferrero Rocher, Glambia, Colgate, and retailer clients like Superdrug, The Very Group, and Warehouse Group. He's also the author of six best practice reports on retail media, uh, focusing on Amazon, Walmart, Kroger, and Target, as well as Instacart. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. What do you think have been the major changes in the retail media sector over the past six months? What's the global context and what are you seeing locally? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. And yes, a lot has happened um, since the first conference in, in March. Um, the first port point to note is that we've gone from, like the pace has picked up really, because we've gone from where people are trying to understand what retail media is in the first quarter of 2023, where it's now on everyone's lips. And so in many ways, Remade was a, a forerunner and also you know part of the sort of democratization of knowledge around um, retail media. But in fact, um, both across the globe, both in the UK, in the US and in Europe, it's now become front and center because it's actually started appearing on budget lines for marketers in obviously as they plan their budgets for calendar year 2024. And the number of conferences increased across the globe. The number of uh, places in mainstream conferences where it's appearing on the conferences is appearing as as a topic on the conference is increasing as well. So we've gone from what the hell is this to now front and center? Do you think it's finding the right tech stack, connecting with the right partners, or are there human obstacles that are the biggest challenge in retail media adoption? Well, I have to answer that on two different contexts um, because I work with both the brands and the retailers. And when we're talking about re- retail media, we need to split up the conversation into What are the brands doing? What are the brands thinking? How are they acting? And what are the retailers doing? Because it's actually two sides. Um, It's kind of like a mini marketplace. It's two sides. Um, So on the brand side, uh, the challenges, and I should know because I'm I'm meeting yet again another team of marketers to talk about retail media tomorrow morning, and we're doing a long session with them over a number of hours. So already I can speak fluently what they're saying, which is one, buy-in from senior management. Number two, Where's the budget going to come from? Number three, does this contribute to brand or is it performance? 
And number four, um, boxing it off into an individual kind of category is their challenge. And then obviously number five is um, around skill base because people are busy and now this new layer of um, capability has to be now kind of added in. On the retailer side, it's it's a slightly different um, answer that I'll give you because on the retailer side, they have to they've got a double whammy or a triple whammy I would say. They've first of all got to boot boot up a piece of ad technology. The second thing they've got to do is um, work internally on alignment because you know the trade marketing folks may not be a fan of it or the sales team may not be a fan of retail media because it does as as i pointed out in in march at remade was that it actually changed that whole dynamic and the third bit is uh, and again as i pointed out in march um setting up an ad network is actually the smallest part of the whole thing the real thing then is you are in the media business and in the media business, it's a different game to retailing. And, you know, this is one area where the Australian market is really ahead of anybody else. I work with a lot of brands, retailers in the UK, and they haven't quite worked out that the game I'm in is in the media business. But if we look at the two biggest retail media networks in Australia, uh, Coles and um, Woolworths, uh, in other words, Cartology and Coles 360, they're led by media people, people who understand media, who come from a media background. So as I said in in March, I, I really believe Australia is, you know, pretty much way punching above its weight and also probably second in terms of in the world in terms of uh, its forward thinking and its approach. You may have seen that Nine have just announced their retail media offering. What's your take on the media players becoming retail media? I did see that. And um I, I have a few question marks around it because, um, it, it, first of all, you know, there's a couple of things that I like to call things that are inevitable. And um, inevitable is the fact that retailers above a certain scale or below a certain scale do not have the resources to you know, hire the right people, build out the ad tech and so on. And maybe they're better aggregating their demand and putting it into one, one area um and and actually selling it on behalf and of course this is something that's been happening in the world of media since time immemorial so that's why i said that's inevitably going to happen um whether nine network is the right um sort of box to put all those into well, that's a different question um again these are different businesses this is this is one of the things that i kind of you know, the, the one big benefit after working for uh, over 25 years in three different industries across the globe is you realize that you, things look easy from the outside and then once you're in it it's a completely different game and your time to catch up and understand it is is just takes a long and the tv broadcasting business and selling TV commercials for 10, 20, 30 seconds and so on, These are, uh, and sponsorships, there are a chasm difference between what a retailer does because retailers are in the game of merchandising. The game of retailing has been around since, well, basically since civilization happened, whereas TV advertising is started properly in the 1950s and the early 1960s when the TVC became, the 32nd TVC became the, the, the sort of mode of investment to build brands. The pitch is quite compelling, though. If you, if you think about it, Cap, the pitch is quite compelling, which is you walk into a retailer who's maybe sub-scale, sub, sub and you say, you're going to be on Channel 9. And, and that's pretty cool. Um, who doesn't want that? Um, 
But there are a few steps to get there. First of all, who's going to design the creative? Is the, what's the content in that creative? What's the message in that creative? What's the call to action? What's the availability of said product in retail? Because in retail, you've got to have um, uh, availability. And then the brands that are going to be advertised within that, if they are advertising the brand rather than the actual retailer themselves, what, what, who's going to be doing the co-funding? Um, and then, um, what, as will happen, because the investment is typically quite large um, in terms of the creative, it's like, well, what slot am I getting? Am I getting you know, 9 o'clock on Sunday night or am I getting you know, 3 a.m. on Tuesday morning? Uh, so it's it's the devil is in the detail on this. That's why I would uh, withhold any judgment on these sort of things because the devil is in the detail. Having spent a lot of money on advertising and Channel Nine myself, um, <laughs> the devil is in the detail. What do you see are the major challenges and opportunities in the Australian market? Well, it, it, in fact, they're 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 not that dissimilar to to other markets. Um, you know, Australia, as we know, is a very an excellent early adopter of new technologies and new thinking, particularly in marketing. Um, and also the the ability to sort of, if you will, pivot and change the model is something that's built into, in my view, Aussie DNA, um, because very, people are very entrepreneurial. Um, but if we look elsewhere and see what's going on, it's all basically uh, uh, follows what happens when something has become a small thing and then grows to be, can become a large thing. In other words, as we move up the adoption curve and something goes from um, sort of uh, the um, very early part of adoption right through mainstream. And what happens typically is you have to go through these phases to get to a business model and to something that actually uh, is, is concrete and works and people understand. So um, what we're finding is, first of all, we can't get people who have the right skills in performance marketing to actually make the stuff happen, number one. Number two, things are coming through. For instance, maybe not all the inventory has been sold or the retailers haven't actually put enough resources into servicing um, their brands correctly um, and or the results aren't coming in. And see, these are all kind of things that will happen as something goes, you know, goes, grows like wildfire. Now, this is exactly what I'm hearing uh, elsewhere, which is, yeah, we're huge fans of it, but I didn't quite get the data that I wanted. Um, I didn't quite get the results that I wanted. Um, I, The person I was talking to at the far end didn't quite really get what I was trying to do as a brand. Now, this is to be expected because, as I say, when something expands so fast, you, you, you always have a gap. I should t- tell a story. One of the things that back in the day, um, I worked in a startup software company and I'd moved from a company that was 160 years old to a company that was about six months old. And you start recognizing that any business that's in fast growth mode has a lot of creaking at the seams and has to do a lot of reinvention all the time. And I would argue that many of the retail media networks are kind of like fast growth software companies, whereby um, the thing that worked a year ago didn't work, but we're still thinking that the thing worked a year ago. We have to invest in headcount and resources and, 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 and customer service skills that we didn't have to a year ago. And that lag is what causes um, the challenge. So this is this is what I'm hearing. The, the, the brands are starting to go, right, we've invested. Where's the ROI? Um, hey, this is interesting. Can we go further depth on this? Or we want to try some new innovation, say, around um, online video 
ads. Who can we talk to? How can we make this happen? So the, any creaking at the seams is just natural in a fast growth area. What about standardization? A big part of the conversation here is about the difficulty in creating standards for metrics, both in customer data and in measurement. Um, are the people of Walmart or Kroger any closer to nailing this piece? Well, th- this is a really good point. I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago and one whole afternoon session with the IAB in the US was on measurement. And in fact, today, the 13th of September, when we're recording, the IAB in the US is coming out with its first um, recommendation around a measurement framework, hot on the heels of the work they've been doing in the last while. And I'll be writing and talking about it a lot more over the next while. Um, the issue around measurement, we've got to look at that and go and say, what's the driver for this? Well, well, obviously, people want to know where the money is coming from, so that, that's a given. But actually, what, what has happened here over the last couple of years? People have been um, given data like ROI, return on investment in ROAS from the major retail, uh, sorry, the major advertising, digital advertising chains, such as, um, or chains, digital advertising channels, such as Google, Facebook, and so on. And they're used to getting these dashboards, if you will, that show ROI, ROAS, and all this level of detail. But the thing is, they're what I call horizontal platforms. They're kind of in every market doing exactly the same thing. And they've managed to sort of, if you will, flatten this approach. However, as we know, uh, in the rest of the world, in in the rest of media, media is always bought locally. Um, I don't sit in Sydney and buy media in London. I uh, I buy it from Sydney. I buy it in London. But that's the same everywhere in the world, whether I'm talking about, you know, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, we buy media locally and we use local thinking and local, in many cases, local measurement approaches as well. If you look at how TV is measured across the globe, you'll find it's actually slightly different as well. So what we're doing is we're coming from this world of where Facebook and um, Google can offer the same product with the same measures all the time. And we're kind of used to that. However, If I'm a retail media network in the UK or France or Australia or whatever, I've probably used different technology to the one in the UK if I'm in France, or if I'm in France, I've probably used a different piece of technology to the one that is in, um, that is, you know, next door to me that we're competing for this money for. Um, And maybe that vendor doesn't actually have the level of detail that we want. And then at a much more pragmatic level, the sell-through level and the click-through rates and the, and the results that we're getting, they're not huge volume. So we're not comparing, uh, we're comparing apples with oranges. So that's why the, the conversation is slightly confusing. Now, I've been lucky enough to see um, the measurement that, say, some of the really big brands are using. And they're, they're going into the retail to say, this is the level of data that we want. But to add confusion, Big Brand 1, who everybody on this call knows who this company is, and then Big Brand 2, who also everybody on this call knows who it is, have seen what they're looking for. And the thing is, they're different. <laughs> and uh, so slightly, if you're the retailer going, oh, okay, I've got two vendors coming in, uh, two of my biggest suppliers coming in, they're looking for different data. I've got one person who's like manning the Excel spreadsheet. So I can see it both sides. I, 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 I think what we've got to do is remember that it's kind of like, uh, and I'm, I may have said this in March when I was talking, if not, I'll definitely say it in, 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 in the next conference, which is it's 2006 and you've just heard of Google AdWords. Are you jumping up and down about ROI and ROAS? 
or it's 2013 and you've just heard of Facebook advertising? Are you jumping up and down about ROI and ROAS? No, you're in test and learn mode. Those concepts of, and you'll see it all right now between Google and Facebook launching launching um, uh, MMM um, over the announcements over the last couple of weeks. We're, we're all getting religion now about what, what, what results our channels are, are giving to us, are giving us. And uh, the expectation that um, retail media is going to do the same thing overnight is a little bit naive. We're experiencing a cost of living crisis. What do you think the impact of the looming recession is on retail media? Well, we, we do have a model of, of this um, because we saw what happened in 2008 after the um, GFC in 2008 and other countries that have had many crises over the last 15 years since GFC. Uh, it's pretty clear what happens. One is people move from brand advertising to performance advertising. Why do they do that? Because they actually need results now, not later. There's no point in saying I'm building my brand for five years when I might not be around in five years. Number one. Number two, the CFOs walked in and said, Cat, you need to cut the budget. And Cat doesn't go and say, hey, what about my brand building? No. She gets a clap, a, 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 a brownie point if she says, I'm cutting the budget, but I'm still getting the same results. By the way, it's not just purely marketing. The CFO is saying this to he says it to he or she says it to operations, to finance team, to whoever. And also, what happens within this kind of world is that maybe headcount isn't rehired or headcount is cut. Is it really good optics to go and say, "Hey, I'm going to do a massive TV campaign to do X, Y, Z"? No. So always, what happens is we move, if you will, down into getting more conversion, getting more transactions um we don't go and think longer term during any recessionary period it's about promotion it's about living for the day uh, or the week or the quarter and what does that fit right into retail media um you're you you know let me give you an imaginary scenario cat you're the cfo of megacore inc and i walk in the door and i'm say a little whippersnipper marketing manager and i say cat I've got this great idea for a huge TV campaign on Channel 9, and it's going to cost a lot of money, but, you know, the results are going to come in the future, and it's going to be amazing. Or B, I walk into Cat again and say, Cat, there's this channel I can use where I can partner with the retailer, who also happens to be our number one channel to market, and I can get um, better results, immediate results, and I know my cost per advertising, I know my cost per unit, and he's also agreed to partner with me on doing this kind of cool digital video thing as well, which will also show results straight away. Which should I do, boss? Now, I think we know the answer to that. Um, and in fact, there is, there is a very specific example, and uh, I may be talking about this at the Remade conference, which is Amazon Marketing Cloud. So Amazon, obviously, are the, the big um, kahuna, big gorilla, whatever the phrase is, in retail media. And... Um, they have a thing called the Amazon Marketing Cloud, which is a fancy name for their ability, their their capability, where you can show your own, um, you, you can have a look in terms of how you're doing on Amazon. You can do all sorts of tests and measures and insights as to what, how your brand is doing at every level from not just an advertising, but also, you know, sell-through rate and what have you. And one of the things they are pitching as part of that is, 
well, hey, if you buy um, th through Amazon advertising and you advertise on Amazon Prime, whatever their TV uh, channel is in the US, and you use your TV advertising, we will show you the results um, from that ad directly through um, your sales on Amazon. Now, that is incredibly compelling because we as marketers can maybe get caught up in our own bubble of like, well, we need to do, you know, build broad, uh, broad channels, brand awareness, you know, think of the long term and so on. But your CFO doesn't think like that. He's going, I got to deliver this quarter. He or she's going, I got to deliver this quarter. And this Amazon thing where I do a TV ad, which I know builds brands because I saw an article on that, and but I can show sales. Hmm, that sounds very interesting. Again, it's one of these things I've talked about before, Kat, which is the budgets are dependent on how much we can persuade our CFOs and CEOs about how we need to build brands and how we need to build the business and grow it in the longer term. And really, these retail media networks, what they're doing is actually trying to capture more of that um, full funnel, if there is the fancy phrase for all of that. And Amazon are at the forefront in that and everybody else is copying them. We've got some new data showing that Amazon Prime is really um, far and away leading the pack in terms of TV on demand. It's almost as though Amazon has built it backwards. They've started with a marketplace and uh, they've traveled up the funnel. What's your take on that? It's, it's, the, the Amazon thing is interesting because there's, there's this kind of weird dichotomy out there. If one reads on social and one reads in the, in the media, it's like Amazon are bad, Amazon are evil, Amazon are doing all this stuff. And then we go to the other side, and I'm using uh, my sample of one, my brother-in-law, uh, on this particular point. And he's like, man, I love Amazon. Why? What? So his name is Alan. So Alan, why do you love Amazon? And he says, because I order the thing, and it turns up. And if I don't get the right thing, I tell them, and they take it back. And so he's not, like, caught in some existential crisis over whether, you know, Amazon are exposing their workers and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. No, he's like, I got my thing the next day. And, you know, that is actually the reality for most people. I got my thing the next day and it was right. And um, so, so first of all, when you hear people, Amazon bad, I, I say, hmm, ask your brother-in-law, sister-in-law, you know, person next door and go, what was their experience of Amazon? Number one. Number two, they do obviously... Um, from a technical perspective, there they've got a lower cost of capital. Um, their um, market ex the market expectations from Wall Street expect them to keep reinvesting them, so they can really, really go long term rather than that quarter. And also, um, they're you know if you take say the TV stuff, they're willing to do stuff for a long period of time. I mean, Amazon advertising the first ad was two thousand seven. And they're willing to do things and throw money at the problem for a long period of time, which I have to say in you know my career as a marketing manager, we can get to do things for a very long time. And in a retailer, you definitely don't get a chance to do. But my, 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 and at one stage, people used to ask me to say, Colin, why do you think long term? And I say, yeah, well, in the business that I'm in right now, uh, short term is today, medium term is next week, and long term is next quarter. And, and we... we, we we can talk about we all like about long term, but people have incentives, and one of the biggest incentives is they'd like to keep their job. And to talk about what's going to happen in three years' time is, is fanciful because the person they're talking to um, also wants to keep their job and doesn't know what's going to happen in three years' time. 
Let's talk about my pet obsession, AI. How do you see AI impacting retail media? Well, I know you're 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 slightly uh, what's the word? Uh, I'm bullish on AI for in marketing. I'm not saying bullish AI in the sense of Terminator and Skynet and what have you. Okay, I'm only bullish on uh, AI in terms of a marketing uh, context and to, to anything outside that anything outside that would be beyond my pay grade. Um, so in a marketing context, um, we, again, I, I use the, the, the metaphor of Kevin Kelly and his book, um, Inevitable, in there. Um, what, what's the incentive of any company? Coke costs increase grow revenues. That's what they're d- designed to do. And in the world of advertising, um, the what do they live off? They live off creativity. They live off having, you know, people and brain power and intellect and capability. And the thing is, AI gives all that uh, sort of approach. Uh, you know, it really soups it up, whatever the face it adds in, you know, nitrous, I was going to say nitrous oxide, but it's like adding nitrous into your, into your, into your fuel tank. Um, because you cannot deny that the creativity that we're seeing on mid journey is not pretty amazing. Um, and even on the on the copywriting stuff, it's 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 not bad, you know. It's 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 considering that the ChatGPT as an example is only what nine months old, and I've used it to do a few things myself on a, in a copywriting context recently. It wasn't cut and paste, no. It was just like hey, I'm trying to write this thing. What about that? And it came back and I went, yeah, okay, okay, and I've got a direction. So it's a time saving device for me. And it's a kind of un- unlocking creativity for me and reminding me of things that I forgot. So, uh, as I say, number one, I'm bullish. I know you're not bullish on it. Number two, it's definitely going to be used to soup up creativity. Uh, number three, it really works in the world of digital advertising more than, say, in what we call TV advertising. So I think we're going to see, uh, well, it's, it's inevitable because we've seen it already in mid-journey, is... Um, Television commercials, sorry, television quality commercials built through AI that work through digital advertising channels. And so we are going to have a collapse in the cost of production. And if we, if we, if, uh, if I look back again, this is the only benefit been slightly older, Cat. There are almost no other benefits have been slightly older. Okay. And uh, the one benefit is I, I have a memory of how, how costly things were. So I did a, a TV shoot in 2012, so just well over 10 years ago. I think we were trying to get enough in the can for for uh, about a year, year and a half. We were doing a lot of sponsorship, dance and what have you. I think we spent 800 grand, okay? Uh, that was before the TV expenditure. Um, I think if we were to do that today, that cost probably would be half that cost. And then if we really sat down and really made it work on whatever a mid-journey and AI tool, that would be another 10% of that. And why wouldn't the person do that? Why wouldn't the budget holder do that? So where's AI going? A cost in the reduction, a uh, reduction in the cost of production. That's that's inevitable. Oh, and by the way, I also think um, there's another thing going to happen, Cap, by the way, which is a, a 100% guarantee. Let's... Let's see. Let's say we're having this chat in a year's time. 
And you'll say to me, Cap, Colin, there's a lot of problems with the quality of creativity on AI. It really sucks. And I'd be saying, yes, because it's still early doors. And then we'll move to a situation where we'll not have that conversation again. To be clear, I think AI is incredible for marketers. It democratizes access to creativity and production. I just think it's uh, ultimately going to be pretty bad for humanity as a whole. But let's have this conversation in a year. We've always kind of said this new technology is 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 bad and it's going to do X, Y, Z. And somehow we've always come out the other side. And um, I, I remember being a teenager in the 1980s and the, the, the threat of the whole nuclear war and, you know, the bomb going off and what have you was like really front and center. And it was kind of like what you grew up in. So you assumed that's the way it was, that we were going to get nuked one day. And there was also, um, what's the thing? Um, uh, acid rain was the other thing. And then the ozone layer. And you know, we, we use technology to solve those those problems. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive about the future. I think there will be massive problems with AI, but there was massive problems with everything. And we just might just hear a lot more about them because obviously with the rise of social media, we just hear a lot more about them um, than we did uh, 20, 30 years ago when I was a teenager. Colin, we have our Remade Awards coming up soon. You have graciously agreed to be the chairperson for our award jury. Two of the categories are collaboration and innovation. What do you think makes a great retail media collaboration? What makes great innovation? Well, we have to have evidence. That's the, the key thing. But one of the things uh, for anybody here who's uh, entering the awards, um, I've been lucky enough to b- do a lot of award uh, uh, um, judging in the UK, in, in the Marketing Week Awards, and also in Ireland as well for years, like years and years. And the first thing you've got to provide is evidence of collaboration. And evidence of collaboration has to be quite uh, specific, as in the things you did, the meetings you had, the outcomes of that, the proof points uh, of all of this, rather than just say, yeah, Kat and Colin uh, collaborated, end of sentence. You you actually have to have proof um, and evidence of that. Um, And then on the creativity side, uh, I, I, you know, uh, sorry, on the innovation side, Innovation is a very interesting word because it can mean creativity, it can mean new thinking, it can mean everything. So what I want on innovation is evidence of both innovative thinking, but also maybe innovative use of a channel, innovative use of, say, a piece of creative, or maybe innovative use of a team. So the word innovation can be spread quite widely. And I, I mean, perfect, but personally, I look for uh, not a narrow definition of what creativity, uh, what innovation is. I want to see it in you know, the innovation could be in the collaboration. It could be in the tools that you use. It could be in the approach. It could be in the, the original brief you set. So they're nice words, um, innovation and collaborations, but I want evidence. And also I'd like to see, I'm looking to see evidence and I'm looking to see innovation that isn't just purely, hey, wasn't this a great, cool ad? Colin, we ask this question of everyone who, who comes on the Unmade podcast. Who do you, what do you think your biggest fans would say about you and what would your biggest detractors say? It's your own MPS score. Thanks for putting me on the spot here. Um, 
I think they would just be struck by my uh, incredible good looks and as well as my engaging modesty. I think that's really the key that would happen, uh, Kat. Um, I, I have actually no idea <laughs> what the detractors would say because um, I don't really hear anybody saying detract, but I'm sure they, I'm sure they, they, they they're there. And I have a friend of mine, uh, Emily, who uh, says to me, everyone, like, oh, Colin's really smart and really intelligent. And I always look at her and go, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm, the people who know me go and say, well, he's really smart, really intelligent, really articulate. So I assume my detractors will say the exact opposite, which is, no, he's a bit of a dumbo. He's not really articulate and he's got a funny accent. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Colin. We look forward to seeing you and uh, hopefully being joined by our listeners on October the 11th for the Remade Retail Media Conference in Surrey Hills. I'll see you in a few weeks' time. We're really looking forward to it again. Thanks, as always, to Abe's Audio for working your magic on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Good morning, good evening, and goodbye. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.